Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Happiness Journey with Dr. Dan podcast, where every journey is worth living. My name is Dr. Dan, and I'm your host for today's episode. I am a bilingual cognitive behavior psychotherapist specializing in anger management issues, both court-appointed and private, marriage counseling using the EFT method, dissociative disorders, narcissistic personality disorder, depression, anxiety, dream analysis, and also provide life, business, and retirement coaching support. I provide individual one-on-one session in both French or English and also do group settings. If you need any assistance, reach out to DMV Therapy and Coaching Services at 301-325-1550 and a website can be found at lifecoach.amzalag.com. Today, I'm very excited to have for our first episode of season 11, a very special guest, author and speaker, Todd Patkin. And just like every of my past episode, I will leave it up to the guests to properly introduce themselves as no one can do a better job. Todd, the floor is yours. Uh, right now, I'm 57 years old. I live in Boston, Massachusetts with my wife. Uh, we have a new little dog, uh, Oliver. <laughs> and right now, I'm spending a lot of time on my charitable endeavors. I do a lot of work outside of Matt. Uh, the United States as well as inside the United States, but I'm doing a lot of speaking and coaching and writing books on happiness. Beautiful. Well, I think you and I, we have the same vision about that. So tell me, Todd, what brought you to to write books about happiness and in your own personal life? What were the challenges that you faced prior to becoming the person that you are today? Well, you know, um, Dr. Dan, I uh, grew up as a very nervous kid. I was always um, feeling like I wasn't uh, as good as some of the other kids. I felt like I needed to get straight A's in school and that was very stressful. And I just never really felt comfortable with being in a a big group of of kids. I was bullied a lot. Um, I uh, struggled from homesickness when I went to overnight camp. I had even a girl ruin my high school years. She decided to just pick on me whenever I went to a party. And I didn't know how to uh, handle it uh, being a girl. I actually say my drug of choice, believe it or not, was The Guiding Light, which was a soap opera back in the United States when I was growing up. I'd go to school. I'd be nervous to get good grades. I'd be nervous about the kids dumping my books and bullying me. And I'd come home from school. And the one real peaceful time I had was when I sat down with my mother for an hour and watched The Guiding Light. And she made me a grilled cheese sandwich. So there was a lot of stress in those days. I I went off to college. I went to Tufts University and they say, if you can't get into Harvard and Boston, you go to Tufts. So it was very, very stressful. And as I said, I felt like I needed to get straight A's and I was homesick. So being an 18 year old in those days, we didn't really talk about homesickness. It wasn't really accepted and depression. So I really struggled. I didn't share all of these feelings uh, with a psychiatrist or a psychologist, but I came home Uh, from uh, college almost every single night, drove back in the morning and really had a difficult time. I say I'm the proudest in my life of graduating from college. And it's not because I'm not smart. It's because I was so stressed out all the time with getting the the best grades I could and then um, struggling again with the homesickness. Mm -hmm. Uh, And one thing people should know, I think is an aside, a lot of times the best students are the ones that drink or smoke the most. I was so uncomfortable (laughs) in college that I wound up smoking a lot of marijuana too in order to relax. Okay. When I left school, I went into the family business and I had the greatest 15 or 16 years of my life. My dad, it was crazy. I was only there a year. 
His right-hand man had a heart attack and passed away, and he pretty much gave me the keys to the castle. It was my job to run the company. I thought he was crazy. I certainly wasn't prepared for it. I didn't have the experience. But I really was a natural at sales and building uh, up stores. When I went in, we were an $18 million company. When I left, we were over a $100 million company, and we sold the company for $100 million. So right out of the box, yes, I have money. But money doesn't always buy you happiness. People think it does, but there's plenty of millionaires and billionaires out there who have committed suicide and they've had uh, all of the things that life could offer. And that's really where my happiness journey started out. At the age of 36, I had a brutal nervous breakdown. And it happened because in my company, I was a motivator. I listened to Tony Robbins tapes and I did a lot of the things that he would do. So during my meetings, I would frequently get up on a desk and jump off the desk to really get people excited and fired up when I played loud music. And normally that would be at a, um, a hotel and it would be on a rugged floor. But this particular Saturday, I was in our warehouse on a cement floor and I was wearing shoes and I fractured my foot. And I, I didn't tell you, but my drug of choice, as I told you in high school, was the guiding light. Well, my drug of choice beginning at the age of 19 and consistently right up to 36 was going to the gym. I would go to the gym at least every other day. And when I was having very stressful days at work, I could leave work, be ready to just put my head through the wall. But I'd go to the gym, I'd pump iron, I'd run on the treadmill. And when I left, I felt like a new man. Well, the problem now is that I couldn't go to the gym because I fractured my foot. I wife and I lost a pregnancy. It was difficult for us to have kids. And because of that loss and because I couldn't go to the gym, I sunk down. I sunk so far down, Dr. Dan, that I had a nervous breakdown. I was suicidal for two days. It, it was horrific. And once I recovered, another thing I want to really recommend to your listeners is medication. If you suffer from severe depression or anxiety, I'm, I'm actually bipolar, I found out. Okay. I highly recommend, and I assume you do as well, medication. And I know a lot of people, especially men out there, sometimes are against medication. It makes me feel so sad when I see people who are so troubled with depression and anxiety. I know right now, if I wasn't taking my meds, I'd be back into another breakdown. I wouldn't be able to, to handle it. So I highly recommend meds. Um, but I had to ask myself, I'm 36. I've got more money than any of my friends. I've got a beautiful wife. By then we had a beautiful son. I had it all. Anybody would look at my life and, and want that life. And here I was, uh, suicidal for two days. And I said, something's wrong here. I can't continually have to feel like I have to be perfect. I was running myself into the ground and I gradually came up with my 12 week program to happiness which I share across the country. We've had a great deal of success with it. And it's just 12 steps that I have incorporated into my life to make my life a lot more full and a lot happier. Beautiful. Wow. That's definitely uh, an interesting journey. Now, um, for our listeners, I mean, obviously, can you um, summarize the 12 steps or the 12 week, whatever, to, of happiness, at least to give the listeners some idea of what can they expect if they select your program and uh, utilize it to their benefit? Yeah. First off, it's completely free. You simply go to YouTube and you go to Finding Happiness with Todd. That's YouTube, Finding Happiness with Todd. Okay. Um, basically, 
I came up with a program, as I said, and the single most important thing is week three. Week three is about learning to love yourself just because you were born. Learning to be nicer to yourself, be kinder to yourself. I believe that most of us wake up, we're good people. During the day, we do 100 things right. We brush our teeth right. We go to the office right. We know how to drive to the office. We treat people right. We eat lunch right. And we might do one thing that isn't right. And that makes sense because we're humans. And as human beings, we're going to be fallible. So we do one thing wrong. And what do we do? We go home and we don't focus on that great uh, answer we gave in the uh, meeting when our boss asked us a question. We focus on that one thing that we feel like, boy, I shouldn't have said that to Jan that day. I know I hurt her feelings. And we beat ourselves up the whole night. I often say that we treat ourselves worse than we would ever treat our worst enemy. I want you to start thinking about how you treat the people you love the most. And I want you to start treating yourself that way. So that's the single most important thing in the 12-week program. We also focus on getting ourselves ready to accomplish these 12 weeks. The 12 weeks are simple but hard. It's hard to start treating yourself better and talking to yourself better because if you're like me, you've had 57 years of putting yourself down. It's not going to happen overnight. That's correct. So the first thing we need is exercise. Mm-hmm. Exercise makes us feel more powerful. It gets us to feel like we can run through a wall. So exercise prepares us for the 12 weeks. The second thing that prepares us for the 12 weeks is to start to read motivational or positive books or listen to uh, positive or motivational uh, uh, audio cassettes or, or you know, information. That also makes you feel more positive. To read something positive in the morning, it gets you started off on the right foot. Then we move into the 12-week program. As I said, week three, being kinder to yourself. Week four, we talk about playing to your strengths. I believe everybody was born with certain unique abilities. You're certainly better than me, Dr. Dan, at many things. And I'm probably better than you at a few things. I have no doubt. (laughs) Uh, And so what I encourage people to do is to make two lists. One list would be, what do you really love to do the most? Try to come up with five things. Second, we pick a second list and we say, what are the five things you think you do better than most people? And then connect. If there's one thing that's on both lists, that's your sweet spot. That's where you should be spending most of your time. Most of us don't spend time there because we took the first job out of out of college or out of high school. We said we'll only stay for five or six years, but here it is 40 years later. We're still in a job that we never really liked. We're not doing what we're meant to do. Maybe we love to uh, sing when we were younger and we sang all the time, but we've gotten away from it. I encourage you now to make a list of all the ways that you could start to sing. Maybe one way you could start to sing is to find a uh, a karaoke bar in the area. You could certainly sing at night doing that. Mm-hmm. You could find an old age home or a young kindergarten class that you could sing in front of. I know uh, at my temple, we have uh, people who aren't Jewish, people who are from all different uh, religions who sing in our choir. So we make a list of all the things that you're really meant to do and then ways that you can go about finding uh, ways to do it. Wow. So after the 12-week program, uh, Todd, do you feel that some people may um, change their mindset, their perspective about who they are as an individual? Because obviously, even though you say it's 12 weeks, but that doesn't mean that someone will reach happiness in 12 weeks. It may take them 
six weeks to do the one week pro or the program, num you know, week number one or week number two or week number three. For some people, it may take them six months to, before they start learning to love themselves. So how, uh, what's going on after the 12 week? What, what is the next step after that? Well, what I find is even if somebody makes a little progress with one thing, let's say you're a couch potato and because you listen to my program, you decide that you're going to start walking around the block every day and eventually you get up to a mile. Even if you don't do the other 11 steps, that actually changes you. I believe that will actually make you feel better internally and externally. Mm -hmm. If you only improve a little bit with week three, let's say you can't go from beating yourself up to telling yourself you're great, but maybe you could start beating yourself up a little less. So it's incremental changes. Uh, as you said, you know, at the end of the 12 weeks, it's a matter really of almost going back through the weeks because, if, you know, if you, you've aced week three and you're starting to not talk so bad about yourself, but now I'm on to week four, five, and six, usually you'll go back on week three because you're not focusing on it anymore and you start beating yourself up. So it's a lot of repetitiveness going back over it and over it and over it. You've had 57 years, if you're my age, of doing one thing over and over and over again. And now we're trying to switch it back, almost like a record play. You've got these ruts where you're going one way, we have to go the opposite direction. So it's really refining it and going back and forth over it uh, time and time again. You know, it's interesting that uh, on week three, you talk about learning to love yourself. And you mentioned about the, you know, you could do 20 good things in one day, but that one bad thing that you do, you're going to beat yourself down for it. But the reality of things is that what brought us to do this is because our environment is so focused on what you do wrong and not what you do right. For example, if let's say for me, I'm a therapist, I help a lot of people deal with their problems. I could have a hundred great five-star review, but I could have one one-star review and everyone is going to focus on that. Everyone's going to focus on that one star review. Oh, why did he do this? Or why did he not advise this person accordingly? So this is the reason why, uh, Todd, I feel that human nature is primarily focused on not allowing other people to grow because that person who feel jealous, who feel um, that they want to be condescending towards other people is because they are so miserable with themselves that they cannot allow others to be happy. So then that becomes a vicious cycle and it becomes very, um, you know, very damaging to mm -hmm. someone mindset and to other people around. Toxicity can really bring down a lot of people. They will always kind of find a way to say, oh, you did this good, but you know what you did there, ay, 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 that was a disaster. So, you know, they, they kind of shoot something positive in the beginning, but then they destroy you with a negative comment. So does that mean that we should completely detach ourselves from our environment to be able to start first focusing on ourselves, on the benefit of who we are as an individual, and then we can go and um, explore our environment? Well, let me first tell you why I think we focus on the negative. I believe it has a lot to do with the whole American success story which most people believe the American success story is just about immigrants coming from other countries, coming to America, and after several generations having made it. But there's a real negative side to the American success story. I know my grandpa Ruby came over from Russia and he came over with nothing. He was 13 years old, came over with his brother and had very little money. And he did become a big success. But I believe Ruby and all of these great 
uh, immigrants who became successful, when they first started their business, they said to themselves, I'm just going to look at all the things I do wrong each day and improve on it the next day because that's the only way I'll be really successful. I'm not going to look at what I do right because if I look at what I do right, I'm going to take a break and I'm going to party and I'm going to fall behind. And if you said to Ruby, why are you willing to work so hard and just look at what you do wrong? He'd say, because I want my son and his son and their son to be happier. We're not happier because what Ruby failed to realize is we learned from our parents. My father was a um, very hard on himself. He was a perfectionist, just like his father. My father only looked at the things he did wrong, never looked at the things he did right. I learned from my father, just look at what you do wrong. Don't look at what you do right. Just look at what you do wrong. So in America, if you look at the cover of my book, it shows uh, people with glasses on, but they're only able to look at the negative. I feel like as we're brought up, when we're little kids, we look at the positive, but as we're brought up, somebody puts, figuratively speaking, contact lenses in our eyes that only allow us to look at the negative. We can't look at the positive. If you only look at the negative, will you be successful? You'll be very successful because you're always improving. But if you just look at the negative, will you be happier? You'll be miserable. So we have a lot of very successful people in America and a lot of very unhappy people. Now, in terms of you speaking about how it can be very toxic with people that are trying to put you down and pull you down. My week seven is learning how to spend less time with negative people, whether it's family or friends. And there's a wonderful quote. It says, choosing to spend less time with negative people doesn't mean you hate them. It just means you love yourself. So that's what week seven is all about. We pick the friends that we make a list of our top five friends that we spend the most time with. We rank them on a scale of one to five, one being they're totally toxic, five being they're totally positive. And anyone who's very negative, we basically let them know that we're on a new happiness journey. We've started it out. We're doing it for us and our kids. Everything in my program is about the kids and their kids. I need people to change. And a lot of people won't change for themselves. But when I say to them, are you unhappy? Are you happy? Are you unhappy? Todd, I'm miserable. I am really a miserable person. Will you take my program? I don't really want to take your program. Well, you realize your kids are going to be miserable because your kids will be like you. Kids are like you. They've done studies. People who exercise, their kids exercise. People who are negative, their kids are negative. And finally, I can get people to say, if, 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 you know what, for my kids, I'll take the program. And so when it comes to getting rid of negative people, you've got to say to yourself, is it worth it for me maybe to spend less time with this friend who's negative all the time, or maybe not speak to my mother as much because she's always pulling me down, dragging me down, and I'll do it for my kids. My kids will learn and they'll spend time with more positive people as well. Wow. That's, uh, and just like the example about when parents are negative, the kids become negative. When parents are exercising, the kids will exercise. Just like parents that are overweight, the kids will become overweight. So again, it's just like a, a cycle that continued from generation to generation about people's mindset, their attitude, their perspective about life. And it, you, I mean, obviously happiness can be contagious, okay? So if someone who is always happy, even if they have nothing, no materialistic things, no assets, nothing whatsoever. Can they, I mean, can they like help people becoming happy just like they are? Because we all have different values, set of values that is. Um, like for example, my family, 
on my mom's side, they were always extremely uber successful. They had like chains of salons. I mean, you know, hair salons and all. And uh, they live in massive mansions. And the thing is, is that I was always in that environment, Todd. So for me, my version of happiness was the success part. So because I was raised in this environment, so to speak. So the thing is, is that can you completely change your mindset and look at things that are not materialistic, but still find happiness? The studies show you'll be the average of the five people you spend the most time with in terms of their happiness levels. My wife is from Venezuela and just the way she was brought up, the truth is she hasn't had an unhappy day since the day I met her. That's really true, unless perhaps an aunt passed away or something like that. And certainly she affects me because I'm with her the most. The problem is, let's say that you have three friends. You say, I'm going to start hanging out with just positive people because I want to be more happy. And you have three friends, uh, four friends that are really happy all the time but you have just one family member that you can't get rid of. You kind of have to spend time with them and they're negative. That one negative person will pull you down. They'll overshadow you. There's something called crabs in a bucket. If you're in where I am now on Martha's Vineyard near Boston, and if you put uh, 10 crabs in a bucket and one of the crabs says, I want to get out, he starts to climb out. All the other grabs, crabs will pull him back. That's a true story. And we call that crabs in a bucket. That's like when you decide you want to try to be somebody more than you are now. You want to take on a new job or you want to travel the world. And your mother and says, oh, don't do it. You might hurt yourself or don't do it. You might fail. So they're pulling you back down. So it's it, it, yes, if you're spending more time with happy and positive people, you will absolutely become happier and more positive. But if you have that one negative person, they almost uh, overshadow the other three. And why, why is that power? I mean, why this, this one person that among the four others that will only talk positive, only give you a, a positive affirmation and all that, but that, that one person will manage to be able to supersede everything that you've been growing with the positive people and be able to bring you down. Doesn't like the, 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 I would say, the laws of balance or equity in terms of like what weighs more than the other in terms of uh, positive affirmation or positive, you know, uh, feedback, et cetera. Wouldn't that kind of like bring like neutral what the other negative person will say? Why that person have so much power? I think what it is, is, is we've all been brought up a certain way. I'm assuming that you're a typical American person who overall is negative. Overall, you beat yourself up. Overall, you're just not your best friend. All right. So this is already who you are. Your glass in terms of being happy and the way you treat yourself is already half empty. So we bring in positive people and they start lifting you up. But boy, is it difficult because you got 57 years of negativity and oh, yes. struggling and then pulling you up. And then one other person, it's so much easier to bring you back down because you've got 57 years of experience. It's, it's almost simple just for that one person to pull you back. So it's just because you're familiar with this negativity. Correct. Okay. So um, how long do you feel that you can actually start changing the way that you perceive yourself? Now, I know that week three is all focused on that, but is there like a, a timeline that you could give to someone 
that despite all this 57 years of negativity or 25 years or 30, whatever it is, that they could eventually change and start lifting themselves up or instead of staying in that toxic environment, etc. Again, a lot of it has to do with, you know, doing all 12 weeks, because let's say that they, I said to them, let's just do week three to start off with. I want you to put a little note in your shaving kit, if it's, you're a man or your uh, makeup kit, if you're a woman. So you see it first thing in the day. My number one goal today, more important than work, more important than anything else, is to be nicer to myself. Every single time I start beating myself up, I'm going to remind myself to throw it away, get rid of it. And eventually I'm going to start talking better to myself. This is the one thing I'm going to focus on. But they're not doing all the other things I recommend. They're not building themselves up with exercise. They're not building themselves up with positive motivational materials. They're not divorcing themselves from negative people. I mean, they can be doing so good at this one thing, but all of a sudden, you know, they talk to a negative friend and it pulls them down. Uh, being friendly is such a positive thing, just like exercise. You go out and you just act friendly to other people. It makes you feel so great about yourself. It is such a great change. Uh, playing to your strengths. It's so much more uh, positive for you to be doing things in the world that you love to do than things that are negative. So we have a whole list of things. I truly believe if somebody says, I'm going to make this a priority, I'm doing it for my kids as well as myself. So I'm not going to quit when it gets hard because, hey, maybe I can be miserable for another 50 years, but I don't want my kids to be miserable for 100 and their kids to be miserable for 100. And I'm going to really commit to it and do the best I can. I believe if you follow the 12 week program, probably by week four, week five, you're gonna to start to see some changes. There'll be very positive changes. Beautiful. Now, let, let me, okay, so all this is beautiful in theory, Todd, okay? I myself, I wrote a book, 100 Days or Less to Reaching Your Ultimate Happiness. And it's basically 100 days, but those days, of course, everyone will focus on, let's say on day seven or day eight and spend more time on it to be able to master that day. But when you look at um, couples in relationships and you see that one of the couple um, is dealing with narcissistic personality disorder, the other couple or the other spouse is an empath. So those two will work somewhat crazy in a, in a way that, you know, one will feed the ego of the other because they always want to please that person as being an empath. And the narcissistic will just be like a vampire and continue feeding on their blood. Now, it, let's say divorce is not a possibility because they have too much um, involved in the marriage. How do you detach yourself from someone who treat the other person like basically like garbage and for them to be able to find happiness? Is, is divorce the imminent response to that? Well, I always say in my week seven, which is learning to live, learning to spend less time with negative people. At the very end, I say, and the big one is marriage. I say, listen, if you do my program and let's say you were a one or a two. So on the scale that I said, you need to list the top five people you spend the most time with. And each person you're going to rank number one to five, one, they're totally negative, two, they're totally positive. Let's say you rank yourself. And let's say prior to my program, you were a one or a two. As you become a three, four and a five, you're going to be disgusted by your husband if he's still a one or a two. And if he doesn't start to change, you're going to notice all the times that he is negative because now I'm showing you that and you're naturally not going to want to be with him anymore. So it does create a lot of divorces. You want to encourage him to come along, encourage him to take the program with you. But 
uh, you can't win the 12 week program if you're living every single day uh, with someone who's terribly, uh, you know, negative and toxic. Beautiful. So tell me where in, if for our listeners, um, now your program seems to be very ideal to those who've been living um, in, in, in a very toxic environment, either from their parents, their family member, their friends, etc. For some people, it's easier to just detach uh, themselves from uh, this toxicity, but for others, they have too much um, involved in their lives and, you know, in the family, in the lives of their family, etc. So is there like a, um, a magic pill, Todd, let's say some simple way to be able to start um, from week one in your program and to be able to take each week and divide them, compartmentalize them based on what's a priority. So can they start your program with, tw- with week number nine or week number three or week number seven? Or, or does that have to be an order? Week one, week two, week three, four or five uh, until 12. Is there a way that they could just take a piece of each and be able to uh, implement it? I feel like week one has to be week one. Week two has to be week two. And then you can switch the other ones however you like. Okay. Because week one and week two are preparing you. Week one is exercise. What I'm trying to do is give you muscles. I'm trying to tell you that week three through week 12, each and every single one of them is going to be really hard. Really simple. I mean, they're going to be really simple but they're going to be really hard, like changing the way you talk to yourself. That's really hard because you've done it for so long. So I need to build up your muscles. So week one is exercise. Trust me. If you've never exercised and now you start even just moving, just dancing, you don't have to join a gym, just get off the couch. Or if you start reading positive things, it will make you feel a lot stronger. And then you can certainly start with week 12 instead of week three, if you prefer. Beautiful. So where can our listeners find your program, uh, Todd? Yeah, they can either go to my website and find all my material, including the program. It's toddpatkin.com. That's my name, T-O-D-D-P-A-T-K-I-N.com. Or they can simply go to YouTube and put in Finding Happiness with Todd. Finding Happiness with Todd. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, Todd, that is all the time that we have for today's podcast. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your very busy schedule to join us. And thank you again for participating and inspiring our many listeners with your incredible story and advice. Now, we hope that you've all enjoyed today's episode. And I'm also very excited about the many upcoming guests that we have for scheduled after season 11 of the Happiness Journey podcast filled with inspirational stories, just like the one that you listened to today. Now, here are some concluding words of wisdom. The meaning of life is just to be alive. It is so plain and so obvious and so simple. And yet, everybody rushes around in great panic as if it was necessary to achieve something beyond themselves. The real spiritual progress of an aspirant is measured by the extent to which he achieves inner tranquility. Learn to get in touch with the silence within yourself and know that everything in his life has a purpose. There is no mistakes, no coincidences. All events are blessing given to us to learn from. So when you feel like rushing towards something, press the brakes for a second and learn to understand the moment you're in, analyzing each reason as to why you allow yourself to keep running after your shadow. Separate yourself from the constant pressure of society having you to abide by certain rules to satisfy certain people. This is your own personal journey in life and not everybody observe it the way you do. You are in control of the steps you take daily. And if you put in too much energy on the wrong things, you won't be living your life. Stop allowing others to constantly poke at you for the sole purpose of having you to slave for them. 
take your life by the horn and start living your own journey. My name is Dr. Dan Amzalak and you may all keep pursuing your amazing journey in life.